And good morning, listeners. We're back for another episode of Riddles in the Dark. Sorry for the shift in schedule, but we had some technical difficulties. I'm sure you've all noticed that uh, Middle Earth Network has been in the midst of a um, uh, moving, changing its host and changing its URLs. And so I believe that there's been some DNS uh, propagation issues over the last few days. Uh, when we tried to broadcast on Tuesday, the... Um, the, I couldn't get to the radio page. Everything seemed to be down, although it turns out the radio station was still up, so we probably could have done it. But we decided to pivot and uh, put it off until um, uh, today, Thursday. So we're giving this another shot, um, and uh, we are looking forward to talking about our topic today, which is Gollum. So without further ado, let me introduce my co-host, um, Professor Corey Olson, the Tolkien professor, and of course, I'm Dave Kale, and let's get started. Good morning, Corey. How are okay. you, sir? Good morning. Good morning. Can I just say that DNS propagation issues sounds vaguely seamy? Yeah. Uh, I, I, you know, I mean, it, I, I, I suppose it's not, but, uh, but really, it kind of sounds like something you shouldn't be talking about in public, I have to say. Yeah. But anyway, um, so good morning, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Riddles in the Dark. So uh, we are uh, doing one other thing in addition to doing a different day at a slightly different time. We have uh, one other change that we have made this morning is that starting this week, we are broadcasting the Riddles in the Dark episode, live from the Mythgard Netmoot, the classroom interface that we use at the Mythgard Institute. So Dave and I uh, and several other people, we have 10 people who have joined us so far this morning um, who are here in the Netmoot session. And so basically, if you would like the opportunity to be able to submit questions directly to us, of course, the way the, 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 Net, the Netmoot online interface works is that you know people are all able to be here together in real time. You can submit questions. Um, we can, we hope to, be able to uh, to, to uh, activate people's audio at some point. We're probably not going to experiment with that this morning, um, but we will we will uh, add one one layer at a time here. Um, but so for people who would like to make some comments and to, uh, to 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 direct questions to us live during the during the broadcast, feel free to join us in our session. You can find the link uh, to our session here. Uh, on either the Tolkien Professor Facebook page or the Mythgard Institute Facebook page. Uh, and you would be welcome to join us. You can also, at the same time, enter into the chat room in the Middle Earth Network radio page uh, where you can talk with other people who are listening to the live broadcast. So, anyway, welcome. Um, now, uh, let's see. Um, I think today before, we, before we oh, start yeah. into the main content, I think we want to <laughs> launch... We want to start with uh, with hot off the presses, our new little segment yes, where we yes. where we address news that's not related to our topic of the week, but that we find irresistible to discuss. Yes, and to, and this week it is hot off the presses indeed. So, um, yeah, we we could not forbear to uh, mention something about the latest news of this week, which is the information leaked uh, in a in a. a, a film magazine about the romantic interest, the romantic subplot, uh, or potential romantic subplot of The Hobbit, um, which, uh, which information has Kiwi the Dwarf entangled in some sense and to some degree uh, in a romantic relationship with the notorious Toriel the Elf. Um, now, of course, obviously, half of that is not surprising, uh, being that Toriel uh, is, other than Galadriel, the only female character <laughs> of the film. Um, wh 
who the woman was going to be was rather obvious to to uh, <laughs> to figure out. The question was, with whom was Toriel going to have a romantic entanglement? Um, and uh, the idea that it is actually one of the <laughs> one of the dwarves uh, has um, has uh, been a, a bit of a uh, an intriguing revelation, certainly. Um, I have to admit that my own response, my initial response to this, uh, my first response, and really my second, third, fourth, and fifth response to this has been hilarity. I think this is hysterically funny. Um, I, just the, the the whole idea strikes me as um, very, very funny. Uh, now, a couple things that I would say to contextualize this at first. First... I am not sure that we should trust this source, or I think basically I think, I think the first thing we should do is be very cautious about what we make of this information. Um, this source, you know, the, the source of this is with an interview with the actor who plays Kiwi. What's his name? Aiden something or other? Um, Aiden Turner. Aiden Turner, yeah. I, I still don't pay attention to actors. But anyway, uh, Aiden Turner uh, and, and basically mentioned his, uh, you know, that, that his character... Kiwi uh, has a thing uh, with uh, Toriel. But the source is, I think that basically, this, and this was one thing that I thought was, was illustrated quite clearly in the CinemaCon news. Of course, as everyone will remember, we did a whole episode on the revelations that came from the CinemaCon showing. But of course, all of us all of us who weren't there anyway at CinemaCon only have secondhand information on this. Um, we only have the reports of people who saw it. And if you read multiple reports, you saw that they varied quite a bit in what they described. And one of the things that you can easily tell by reading those descriptions is who knows anything about Tolkien and who doesn't. Um, you know, there were many people who were misidentifying or making very inaccurate guesses about characters, couldn't even, you know, there were some, of course, who could immediately tell that the uh, you know the person with like birds under his hat or whatever who is talking to Gandalf must be Radagast, um, and that seems certainly almost uh, that certainly seems to be to be a fair guess based on what they saw. And whereas others were clearly quite clueless about this, so I have to say that I kind of I'm not going to say I disregard, but I take with a grain of salt. Uh, things that are related to the plot of the story that are revealed by sources which are really just film or entertainment sources which are which don't have a Tolkien which, which don't have any Tolkien geek street cred in my book um, so because basically there's a lot of assumptions and mistakes that can be made I don't know um, you know exactly what you know all of what Aiden Turner said when he was talking to their reporter um, you know, what was reported in the magazine might be a sort of a sensationalized version of it. We don't, we, we don't really know. I mean, there, there's, there's a lot of possibilities of what that could actually end up looking like on screen. Um, however, the one thing that I will, the one thing that I will, uh, that I will say though is that I had a sinking feeling about something like this from the beginning, I, from the very first moment. And you remember, it was, it was, it was, wasn't it? December, November of last year, that the pictures of the dwarves were first being revealed in a sort of piecemeal, and then the whole set of them and everything. Um, anyway, the, the, very, the very first time we were given the pictures of Feely and Kiwi in costume, 
Um, I took one look at Kiwi and was like, okay, that's it. <laughs> I was because I was asking myself, who is going to be the Orlando Bloom of this of this of this show? You know, who is going to be the like the new hot young actor in more ways than one who, you know, captures the fancy of people. And I, I was like, okay, Kiwi. Kiwi is going to be a big story in this thing. Like, I, you know, he, he is clearly the, 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 the new heartthrob from this. Like, you know, there, were, there had been talks about, you know, Thorin being a heartthrob dwarf, which that is deeply disturbing on several levels. But, um, I, I, but Kiwi, I was like, okay. I mean, even the fact that they're making him non-bearded shows that they're trying to, you know, make him sort of sexier. So anyway, so the fact, so I was like, okay, so clearly he's going to, you know, he's designed to be that kind of, at least a potential romantic focus. That I thought was plainly visible uh, from the first time I saw his character um, you know, in, in that image. So again, that doesn't, it doesn't shock me. I, I was, I was, I was, <laughs> I was, I was, I thought it was very funny, but I was not for that reason, completely shocked by the idea. Right. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you saw it coming a mile away. You totally knew it was going to totally happen. I totally did. Yeah, totally yeah, did. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, like if somebody had said, like, do you think that Kiwi and Torio are going to have a torrid affair? I would not have, uh, said that that's exactly what I was predicting, but it completely fits with the way that I was kind of expecting them to play Kiwi's character. Um, that, you know, he was going to be one that they, they, like, it's, they're expecting, they're expecting the audience, especially women in the audience, to fall in love with his character. Like, that's just totally obvious from the way, especially with the way that they're contrasting him with some of the other dwarves. I mean, he's, you know, there are some of the dwarves which are clearly, like, for comedy or, you know, they're, you know, they're designed to look all rugged and tough. Um, but, uh, right. you know, Kiwi is different. In uh, in fairness to you, there there does exist proof that you uh, that you felt this way. Um, if people are interested to hear this, um, if you search, uh, type into Google "Secrets of the Hobbit Hot Dwarves." Um, <laughs> Episode 20 of Secrets of the Hobbit, the podcast I do on SQPN with Father Roderick. Um, uh, on episode 20, which was last year in July, there, there, there's an episode called Hot Dwarves, and Corey joined us on that episode, and we talked about exactly this issue. This was right around the yes. time the images had been released. So. It, was, it was July. It was further back than I remember, yeah. Yep, yep. So we, we actually do have proof that you were, That's you were, right. you were That's making right. these claims as far back as Fully July Fully a year ago, year. I was talking about how <laughs> Kiwi was being set up for this. Exactly, exactly. So that much I saw coming. I didn't exactly, <clears throat> I, I didn't think they would go so far as to try a dwarf elf interracial romance. Right. So, <laughs> Which you can see, like, I can't, I'm, I'm like, I'm like literally incapable of uttering that phrase without laughing. I just can't. It's very funny. So, um, so I don't want to belabor the point too much because we got to get on the golem. But um, the two things yeah, I would yeah. point out, if you go look at the the article, either get a copy of Total Film Magazine. This is, by the way, their Future 100, where they sort of profile um, 100 actors or movies or technologies or things that they think are going to be sort of have a big impact um, in film over the next few years. They have um, six six Hobbit actors were number 25 through 30 uh, on this uh, in this top 100, including uh, um, Aiden Turner's uh, romantic opposite of Angeline Lilly, Martin Freeman, Benedict Cumberbatch, <laughs> Richard Armitage, although everybody basically. Um, 
anyway, uh, so if you go go look up this article in Total Film, if you can't get the magazine or don't want to uh, get it, um, the page about The Hobbit has been scanned and put up on theonering.net. Um, the quote is just basically based on things Aidan Turner said. Uh, and um, in the article, they say Keeley's part has been expanded from the novel. As well as chasing treasure, he's also pursuing female elf Tariel. But is he setting his sights too high? Um, I guess he knows nothing can happen, Aidan Turner explains. She's about 20 feet tall, and he's only two. So, uh, <laughs> I, sort of, um, I talked about this with Father Roderick on Secrets of the Hobbit yesterday. If folks are interested to hear um, more thoughts on this, particularly mine, uh, definitely go listen to that. But for one thing, this could totally just be Aidan Turner making stuff up. Uh, yeah. or 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 sort of just stating his his kind of take on the story you know it could be they dropped one little line like they when they first get captured by Toriel maybe Keeley makes some comment about uh, uh you know how beautiful the the elf commander that just captured them is or something and it, it could be he's blow, he's he's in misinterpreting it and now everybody's blowing it out of proportion i think that's one yeah, thing yeah i mean it, Exactly. I mean, exactly. Aiden Turner could have could have decided that, like, at this point in the story, Kiwi should should cast a longing glance towards Toriel, mm-hmm. and you know, and and, and it, it it could actually turn out to be nothing more than that. It might not be a major yep. subplot. Um, the other point I think let's let's assume for a second that's not it. Maybe this is a, a plot. Maybe maybe the feelings are unrequited. Maybe it's just him in love with her, or or something like that. Um, but, uh, as Father Roderick pointed out, two things. One, um, it's not entirely without grounding or precedent in the text, because of course we have Gimli and Galadriel. And, and, and I think a lot of people would say, well, that's completely different. You know, it's not a, Gimli's not feeling a romantic love for Galadriel, but it's more an admiration of her beauty and her, um, and her dignity. Yada, yada, yada. I think that's all true, but it's still, it, there is sort of some precedent the other thing is, uh, this would be an interesting way to um, this would be an interesting way to uh, get us more um, invested in these dwarven characters, so that when some of them die, including Keeley at the Battle of Five Armies, we actually feel more of something. So suppose maybe there's this this um, recurring storyline of of Keeley's unrequited feelings for uh, this elf warrior, Tariel, maybe they end up fighting in the battle next to each other, and then maybe he, he ends up dying, and Tariel sort of mourns him, and um, maybe you know gives him a last mercy as he's lying there dying, like a kiss or something. This is a way to get the sort of average movie-going audience member to actually care that he's died. So um, right. I think that's an interesting notion. I agree. I mean, it, it's certainly, you know, and this also I've been saying for over a year, what was obvious from those pictures of the dwarves when they were first released is that, you know, Peter Jackson and crew are clearly investing a lot of energy in trying to differentiate the dwarves, in actually um, providing film viewers with an opportunity to, to you know, have a... to to differentiate among the mm-hmm. dwarves, you know, that, they, that they're clearly not going to be in the film the way that they really are in the book, a group of largely faceless and personalityless sort of interchangeable names. Now, that's not true of all of them. There are some of them, especially Balin, of course, in the, who's probably, of all of the non-Thorin dwarves, the most developed, I would say Balin and Bumber are. Um, and Fili and Kiwi come in for a lot, 
and we do get to know them a little bit more than we get to know others, like Bifer and Balfer, for instance, um, or even Owen and Glowen. We, you know, but anyway, just or Dwalin. Most of them don't have lines, um, you know, or, or a handful of lines put together in the whole in the whole story. Um, so clearly. They're wanting, you know, they're not wanting just to have this anonymous gang of bearded guys um, that the uh, that the, the the film viewers are not going to be able to even tell apart. So, so I agree. I mean, it's there's there's it's it's un, certainly unsurprising. In fact, it seems almost necessary that um, they would have to do something to, as you say, to 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 or as you say that Father Roderick says to get us to invest in these characters and to get us to care about them in some mm-hmm. way. And I do agree that Feely and Keeley's death is kind of underplayed. I mean, Bilbo hears about it and he clearly cares and he, uh, you know, mourns for them, but um, it's not, it's not, a, I mean, the death of Thorin is very moving in the book, um, but the death of Feely and Keeley is kind of an add-on. I mean, we're just, we're told about it in one sentence after the fact, um, you know, that they were killed defending Thorin. Um, but anyway, so yeah, it's certainly the film can't treat it as briefly as that, as simply as that. It's just not going to be able to work. Um, so, uh, so yeah, <laughs> this seems, to, you know, Getting him involved in a full-blown romantic plot with an elf seems to me a, a little bit more than is totally necessary uh, in, to achieve that end. But you know, I, it's certainly. But it, it may not. Function. It may not be full-blown, right? It might just be. It, it may be entirely unrequited, or it may be just hints yep. of it. You know, I. Yep. I actually. Yep. This is the kind of thing that. Um, this is the kind of thing that I. I trust. Peter Jackson to do and have it not be a farce. I I don't I don't always agree with the choices that he makes. Um, mm-hmm. um, you know, with changing characters, changing elements, the way he executes things on screen. But I don't think he never does them gratuitously or without purpose. Uh, mm-hmm. I think I think he well maybe uh, let's let's leave. There could be exceptions like Saruman's death. I thought was really stupid, um, but. In general, like, I don't think he's going to gratuitously add romance because the studio told him he had to and add some sappy, stupid thing that makes a mockery of the film. I think he will, he will do this carefully and, and with a purpose, you know, as something planted for, for, for the story. That doesn't mean I'll like it, but I don't think it'll be, I don't think it'll be, um, uh, stupid and a farce. Yeah. 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 No, I would, I would hope not. And and I agree. I I would kind of trust them far enough to just be willing to kind of suspend outrage and say, well, you know, let's, we'll, let's see how they handle it. And I do agree with, I mean, as you know, an example I've cited many times, you know, the famous introduction of, uh, you know, elves to the battle of Helm's deep, um, was, you know, obviously a huge change that he made, but I love that change. I mean, I thought it was, I thought it works really well in the film. So yeah, I mean, he doesn't do it for no reason. I, I mean, I think that there are some, well, I mean, there there are some changes which could be considered gratuitous, but but nevertheless, I do agree with your overall point. Um, and we'll see, we'll see sort of how that goes. But I would also like to just kind of uh, give a give a, a brief shout out to uh, some people from uh who are commenting on the 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 Tolkien face the Tolkien professor Facebook page um 
you know, in in who basically were anticipating like a week prior to the news coming out, Christopher Singles posted one thing I haven't seen discussed is how are they going to cram a romantic storyline into the Hobbit? And like days later, this news broke. Uh, he, he's right on the cutting edge, Christopher. Um, so, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so I had already been kind of thinking about it, thinking about Christopher's question, and then uh, this news came out, so I thought that that was sort of particularly funny. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the co- a couple comments from people here with us in the session. Uh, uh, Brent was saying that he, he, he hopes that it is more like Gimli's relationship to Galadriel, and I certainly agree in the sense of I would really kind of <laughs> hope that their relationship stays platonic. And I would actually assume that, uh, that Aiden Turner's comments about the differences in their height and things like that also sort of indicate that their relationship isn't actually going to, going to develop into anything significant. Um, uh, because that would be a little horrifying. Um, and, uh, and hard for it not to get farcical. And, uh, <laughs> oh man, Yana makes a, a sort of a chilling suggestion. Uh, uh, Yana says, it has been suggested earlier that Toriel might be the elven jailer. Um, you know, might they, uh, might uh, the, the sort of the connection between her, her and Kiwi actually factor into the escape attempt? Um, that's uh that's interesting. <laughs> it's like it could be a seduction uh, i i <coughs> I would certainly hope not, but you know <laughs> i mean i I hope not if it's done farcically, but in some sense uh, that might work better on screen for Peter uh-huh. Jackson's elves than a couple of elves getting drunk and 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 letting them escape. It's well, really hard to see forget. Peter Jackson's elves do that. doing that why why he is can't. that? He's boxed himself. I mean, unless he's going to have a complete consistency breakdown, he yeah. can't do that. He's boxed himself into a corner. The scene from the extended edition when Legolas is having the drinking competition with Gimli and uh, Peter Jackson has established that in the Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings world, elves don't get drunk. Right, exactly. So, so they can't. And this was actually one of the things that several, you know, uh, smart Tolkien people have been saying from the beginning, like as, as like an example of one of the consistency issues that he has, you know, sort of problems he's created for himself um, in uh, in now going back and doing The Hobbit. Because, of course, uh, a dwar- uh, elves getting drunk and passing out is is crucial to the plot of the hobbit and now he can't do that so he's got to do something else i mean i don't think he's gonna i would i would not think he would just change the consistency there i i, I suspect we are not going to see drunken elves i think i, yep. I would be very surprised if so maybe that. we'll see so it's got to be something else maybe we'll see drunk on love elves <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah. By the way, <laughs> nobody's questions are showing up on my uh, on my page. Oh, you're not getting them? Yeah. Okay. Also, well, um, your 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 the the go to webinar link showed up in my email finally. Oh hey, well there you go. I think it's I think it's actually I didn't log into my MythGuard email. I I because I forwarded it to my Gmail. I think the forwarding was just took forever. So if I follow the the link that you sent me, the new link, will that allow me to see people's questions? Ah, eh, who cares? Right. I'm not gonna worry about it right yeah. now. You're gonna have to we'll answer all out. the questions. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, I mean, uh, Zach is asking, you know, could Elven wine just be much more potent, uh, you know, than the beer that they oh were drinking? Oh my god, and, and they're said, killing the Lake Town is. men. Right. It certainly <laughs> is, but yeah, I mean, the extent to which 
I mean, they had them drinking. I mean, I mean, I, I've never counted the tankards that they had on the table there, but I mean, they're 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 like double digits worth of tankards. Um, I mean, and it's pretty, I mean, Gimli actually passes out, and Legolas is like, I am just, I, I think it's affecting me in some slight way. Yeah. So I mean, you got it, that perfect social buzz. Right, exactly. So I, you know, if 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 he's only able to get a social buzz from like twenty five beers, um, like they're gonna have to be drinking gallons of enormously potent wine before they're gonna pass out. And I just, I just, I, 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 I really don't think that that could work. No. Um, no, unless, so, a, or else the wine that they're sending to the Lake Town Met is is gonna kill people. <laughs> yeah, I mean instantly. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, we'll this see is... the we'll see the the people in Lake Town taking like these tiny shots of uh, of, of of elven wine. Yeah, no, I don't think that's gonna happen. Um, but yeah, you know, the, the the a tasteful involvement of the romantic part that is to have to have Toriel come to a place where she actually like chooses to turn a blind eye or is in some way made um, to, you know, basically brought to support the dwarves uh, and to believe them uh, even to the, to the extent of disobeying her King uh, that, you know, to see her in that kind of a uh, situation, that certainly seems like something that could be plausibly done. Um, and and certainly could be a very effective dramatic moment on film. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, you know, maybe, maybe we'll see. I, I you know, I, again, I don't know if it's like, you know, if it's going to be like, oh, Kiwi, you're so dreamy, I just can't turn you in. Like, I don't know, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe. Interesting. Um, All right, yeah. Let's uh, let's get on to get on. Oh, yeah, with let's it. let's move on to our primary topic today, well, which is especially. Uh, I guess. Do you want to do you want to talk over any of the listener feedback from the previous episode? Um, I oh know sure. We're, we're, we've yeah. used up a lot yeah. of time for this, but but there is actually some really good stuff in here. Um, yeah, great. That I think let's would be enjoyable. Uh, so the first one comes from Catherine Sass, uh, who posted on all of these are from the Mythgard page. By the way, um, we got a lot of comments this time around, so thank you very much listeners please keep it coming we're going to be able to uh, address a lot of it we're going to we're, we're i promise we're firing up the new riddles in the dark digest episodes uh starting yes. next week again so we'll be able to address a lot more user feedback on the air we'll tell you more about that at the end of this show um but uh also on, we're going to really make an effort to just uh address a lot more of our listener feedback but so anyway um so Catherine Sass had a, an interesting observation about similarities between Bilbo in The Hobbit and Pippin in The Lord of the Ring. In the sense, so she says, when you're talking of Bilbo's tookishness being revealed not in his being fierce but in his passionate desire to be thought fierce, uh, mm-hmm. what it reminded me most of is our quintessential took, Pippin. Because, uh, it's, as she says, it's, it's interesting that he, the Took in Lord of the Rings, is in many ways the most timid of the four lead hobbits, uh, but also for often the most easily offended by charges of timidity and plain hobbitness. Yeah, that, I mean, it's, it's, it's true. I mean, I do think that that, that, cause I mean, really, especially that moment in chapter one of the book of the Hobbit, that is w- what I find so striking about that moment when he overhears Glowen saying he's more like a grocer than a burglar and bursts in. What I think is so interesting there that it's easy to overlook is the fact that he, ca- like, 
what he values in his reputation there. You know, that, that he actually cares about being considered fierce. So I, I agree. I think that that's, it is not innate fierceness. It is not like, and he was especially tough. And though he'd never used this skill, like had this innate skill with a sword or something like, you know, he was like, had these latent adventurer, you know, abilities because of his tookishness that were waiting to come out. It isn't about that. I agree with Kat that it's primarily, um, it primarily is in, in his attitude and if you want to put it that way in his value system, right? That, that it's, you know, that what do you care about? What, what do you consider sort of worthy to be called or considered? And that, you know, Bilbo's taking offense at being considered not worthy as an adventurer of his being considered, um, you know, more like a grocer than a burglar. I mean, that's, that's odd. That's, that's strange. You know, Bungo would not have been offended at somebody saying that he's not like a burglar. Yep. You know, he would have been flattered by being considered different from a burglar. I, I would assume. So, so yeah, no, I think that that's, I, I think that that's very true. And that is a nice point about, 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 about Pippin. Cat is, uh, uh, one of has been one of our students at Mythgard from the beginning, and I, all, the, all these I, Mythgard students make such insightful comments. Oh, well, Kat is very good. I, I, I would, I would expect nothing less from Catherine Sass. Uh, she has been wonderful in, uh, in our, in our classes so far. So. She, uh, she uh, included a link to her blog. It's uh, ravingsanity.wordpress.com, so people should check that out. Um, oh, definitely. I actually enjoy her blog. So here's one that I really, uh, I'm very curious to hear your thoughts on. Um, Different portrayals of Bilbo across different Tolkien works. Um, mm-hmm. Jason Etheridge from Utini Cast, uh, O-O-T-I-N-I Cast.com. We've mentioned him before. It's a Star Wars podcast. He says mm-hmm. um, that he had the same – oh, I don't know who who, he, who this was in response to. But he says, Tolkien muddies the water with what he adds in the quest of Erebor where he plays up the Turkish queerness, uh, which I believe mm-hmm. is true. Um, we really do actually the the portrayal the the description or Gandalf's description of Bilbo and his reasons for cho- choosing Bilbo in Quest for Erebor are actually st- appear very different from the portrayal of Bilbo, which is Bilbo's self portrayal that we get in the the book of uh, the Red Book in the Hobbit. Right. So um, you know two things: one, what's going on there? Why is Tolkien why is Tolkien muddying the water? And two. Um, should we maybe expect if we know Peter Jackson's drawing on all these other materials, could it, you know, does that have some implication for how Bilbo will be portrayed on screen? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, as far as like why <clears throat> Tolkien muddies the waters, I think it's just because he he can't because he loves that kind of thing. Like, not that he loved muddiness and uncertainty, um, but the kind of thing that he does in the Quest of Erebor, he loved doing. That is, let's hear a different account of a story told from a different point of view and with a different textual history, so that you know he invites us through just through the point of view uh, of the Quest of Erebor, which is from Gandalf's point of view. Um, by giving us that story from that different point of view, he prompts us to read The Hobbit with more attention to its textual context. That is, who wrote it and how it was transmitted. And Tolkien was always thinking about that with his stories. And, and you know, and those who know The Lord of the Rings well will remember um, in you know in the appendices and in the prologue um, of the Fellowship of the Ring. There are explicit references to this, like the fact that um, Bilbo's 
uh, Bilbo's uh, lying version of the Gollum story um, went into circulation because Frodo and Sam couldn't bear to actually change or or cut out anything that Bilbo himself had actually written. And so what we see there is a glimpse into the fact that the text <clears throat> of the Red Book of Westmarch, which is, of course, not even, you know, so when we're reading The Hobbit, as we've said before, we're not getting Bilbo's diary. It's not first person. We're not even getting the Red Book of Westmarch. We're getting, uh, you know, a book which is derived from the West Book of, from the Red Book of Westmarch, eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but anyway, so we're getting it through transmission. We're getting it, you know, at several, several sort of textual generations down the road. Um, but it still comes from the Red Book of Westmarch, which was written, in a sense, with a heavy pro-Bilbo bias. That is, the, the, the primary writers and, ed- and, and editors, at least the initial writers and editors of the West Book of the Red Book of Westmarch, wrote uh, with great respect and deference for Bilbo. We're told that explicitly. So therefore, it is no surprise that the version of the story, which was derived both, both initially from Bilbo's own point of view, and then secondarily that point of view as filtered and edited by Frodo and Sam, that that version, which is the Hobbit that we have, um, that version is more flattering to Bilbo. And Gandalf is much more blunt in saying how absurd he was and uh, you know, giving us some idea of how, th- uh, of how different Bilbo's performance uh, at the unexpected party looked uh, from someone asking, you know, from, in, in the book, in chapter one of The Hobbit, we get primarily his own thoughts and how bewildered and bewildered he was. And we get that view of him sitting on the stool and, you know, trying to pretend that this was not at all an adventure. And we don't get what the dwarves are thinking when they're looking at this guy hyperventilating on the stool in the hall um, at, when they've come to this place being told that they're coming to the house of a professional burglar who's ready to assist them in their quest. Um, and, you know, and, you know, and so Gandalf saying things like, oh, you know, he almost ruined the whole thing. He behaved absurdly. Um, does It doesn't just change the way that we might picture the story, but it also does draw our attention to this whole issue of the sort of the the, the textual handing down of the story. Um, so that's the kind of thing. So the muddiness comes from that. And Tolkien loves that. I mean, this is what he did professionally, was looking at, you know, different accounts of, of, of the same legends. He loved to trace stories like, for instance, the Sigurd stories. And let's look at the story of Sigurd and the slaying of Fafnir. Let's look at that in, in, in various Old Norse versions that we have of the story and compare it to the German versions of the story from the Nibelungen lead. Uh, and, you know, and look at how, you know, what, what, uh, what versions these stories were derived from and how the different tellings and the different points of view of the different tellings alter the detail. I mean, he just, he loved this. This is what he did. This was like one of his jobs, uh, and so it's it's kind of how he thought. So um, so to some extent, I think there's just sort of a pure pleasure in that kind of uh, in that kind of a of a complexity that 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 for Tolkien, a story that has that kind of life is like that's that, that's part of what it means for for a story to be a story, not just you know, a random thing told by one person, but something which has that kind of life in the, in the, in the lives and in the retelling of, of audiences and different audiences. And that that's one of the things that makes stories so cool and so interesting. And so, you know, he thought about his own story in that way and is always thinking about who's telling the stories and how they're coming to us and everything. Um, But anyway, yeah, it's certainly when it comes to the film, 
it does, as we've said before, give Peter Jackson a lot of license because we do have a couple different. So, you know, are we going to see Quest for Erebor Bilbo? Um, or are we going to see Book Bilbo? I, I, and I think my suspicion is we're going to see a lot of Quest of Erebor Bilbo. I think that that's, um, you know, certainly the glimpse of, of, of the very Quest of Erebor conversation that Thorin and Gandalf are having in the trailer. Um, does suggest that he's going to be, you know, though it comes back to the conversation we had about how how much of a buffoon do we think that Bilbo is going to is is going to look like, um, because that's exactly basically what Gandalf says that you know that he he sort of he seemed like like an idiot he seemed like a buffoon, um, so so we'll see, but it does it does leave them leave them with with a lot of scope. And again, this is what so many people underestimate when they say, like, it's just this simple little children's book. You know, how are they, you know, they're going to have to make up all this stuff to, uh, to, to actually make that into two, you know, epic films. No, I mean, I, I, I still think the major challenge they're going to be having is selecting among the possibilities. Right. Yep. That's uh, I think that I think that's a very interesting notion and a good. Um, it's definitely making me reconsider my uh, my my answer to the prediction question. <laughs> <laughs> I think I might have screwed up. Oh, no, I gotta live with it you. now. That's right. No changing answers. Um, <laughs> so uh, one one sort of uh, there's just a couple more pieces of feedback I wanted to share with you. Um, one is from a couple of folks who had the same notion, Joshua Bowden and uh, Daniel Wesley, who basically um, are tossed out the notion that maybe Bilbo is – we're making the assumption that in the frame narrative, Bilbo is actively telling the story to Frodo, but there really isn't any – there's no definitive proof that that is the case. We saw – Frodo and Bilbo in in one scene in the trailer, but it's we don't actually see Bilbo talking to Frodo. We see Frodo walking away from Bag End and Bilbo standing on the front doorstep, uh, saying, "Hey, see you later." And then we hear this oh, um, this uh, uh, you know uh, voiceover by Bilbo, but it could just be Bilbo. The frame narrative could really just be Bilbo sitting in his study writing. Um, the the uh, the more um, uh, true version of the, the the whole story in a new book right. or an updated version of the red book. So uh, he may not actually be telling the story to Frodo. And so you know we were tossing out some of the inconsistencies like um, Frodo Frodo in the film seems to think that that Sauron was destroyed. Uh, doesn't know that he's alive. If if uh, if he's right. already heard all about the necromancer and knows that the necromancer Sauron, wouldn't he know that Sauron's not been destroyed? Um, maybe it's possible that Frodo actually hasn't read this book yet, and that Bilbo's yeah. not actually telling the story to Frodo in the frame narrative. He's just voicing it over as he's writing it down. You know, that's cool. I like that idea. You know, and this, uh, and you know, and and you could have. Uh, a closing scene at the end of the second film where, you know, Bilbo, like, you know, cl- like Frodo comes into the room and Bilbo closes the book and says, you know, someday I will let you read this or something, you know? Yeah. I mean, you could, you could, I, I could, I, I could see this. I mean, I like the idea of Bilbo's narr- Bilbo's kind of internal narration and his actual writing. Um, yep. Really, just as well as as I like the idea of the possible storytelling between him and Frodo. Um, well, it's, it's very really, Tolkien-esque. It's almost like Tolkien's yeah. the one sitting there writing it. 
Yep. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, 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 it's a thing that I loved from the Lord of the Rings films. I mean, I loved the fact that we got Bilbo sitting at his little scriptorium desk, uh, writing his book at the, you know, at the very beginning of the Fellowship of the Ring. And then we see Frodo sitting in the same place writing at the end of the Return of the King. I, I, I loved that. I thought that was really well done, uh, by Peter Jackson. And so, yeah, to, to get basically a slightly more elaborate version of that, I think would be awesome. That'd be very cool. Yep. I completely agree. Um, so, okay, last bit of feedback is just a humorous one. It's a terrible, terrible notion um, <laughs> from oh, Mike no. Roach. He says, after the prequel, somebody somebody had pointed out some weirdness about the fact that, that uh, Ian Holm, it, we have this scene of Ian Holm in, in Gollum's cave as Bilbo in The Lord of the Rings, uh, and he actually right. looks a lot older than Martin Freeman does in uh, The Hobbit that we've seen so far in that scene. And, you know, and people, people seem really hung up on this whole, on this aging thing and how old the actors appear. And the, you know, the fact that you were annoyed that Frodo looks so young and, and, and the right, ring right. and all that. Yeah. People, people really won't, can't seem to, to let that topic drop. They keep bringing it up. <laughs> but anyway, this guy tosses out there um, with regard to the, the inconsistencies between Ian Holm and Martin Freeman after the prequels were made, George Lucas went back and CGI'd Hayden Christensen's face into the end shots of the uh, Return of the Jedi so that those movies would become retroactively consistent with the prequels. I'm curious <laughs> if Peter Jackson comes out with a 20th anniversary super flaming eyeball edition of Lord of the Rings, <laughs> if they would adjust the prologue in Fellowship of the Ring and CGI Martin Freeman in as Bilbo. I wouldn't put it past them. Um <laughs> I wouldn't put it past them. Uh, that would be funny. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, no, I, you know, I, I, yeah, you could see that. You could see that. Um, yeah, I. Uh, no, that is funny. I mean, I do think that the the age the age issue it's a big deal in as much as it's connected with the character depiction. In the stories, like I said, that's why I, th- I I do think that the you know Frodo's age was a big deal, not just because he looked young, because whatever. I mean, hobbits obviously age differently from humans, so the fact that yes, he's fifty, but that doesn't mean he has to look like a fifty-year-old human because hobbits routinely live to you know well over a hundred, um, and they don't they're not even considered adults until thirty-three. So I I don't think that. Um, his physical, the fact that Elijah Wood looked and indeed was young, um, uh, um, in the Lord of the Rings is is the big deal. The big deal is that his whole character was depicted consistently with that. I mean, he was young and clueless. And yeah, 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 and, yeah. I think that's the people. The thing exactly. that people, the thing people keep missing when they keep commenting on that and saying, you know, well, it's got to be the ring. We're not saying he looks young. We're saying he was right. young. He's clearly right. as immature. Uh, he's yes. clearly an adolescent, just like Pippin and Mary and and Sam. Yes. You know, like in in the books, yes, he looks young, but he's obviously more mature and behaves more like an adult than the other three. Treats treats yes. he treats uh, he treats Sam like a servant, and he treats Pippin and Mary like the sort of you know um, uh, amusing but definitely annoying, immature younger cousins that they are. Uh, in the right, film, exactly. he now, behaves just like they do. He's not any more mature than they are. That's what we're saying. Right. <laughs> exactly. I mean, he's Pippin is barely is 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 barely over half 
his age, Frodo's age, in the book. And, and again, and that shows, as you say, he is, he is more like an uncle to Pippin than he is like a, like, I mean, they, they, they are friends, of course, but, but there is always that dynamic. Frodo is clearly the, the older and wiser one, and all of the rest of the hobbits look up to him like the older, wiser one that he is. Yep. Um, there's, there is an almost generational gap in between them. Um, and that's an important factor in all of their, uh, in all of the interactions between him and the other three. Like, yes, they're all friends, but but anyway. So yes, that's that's what is the major difference between how Frodo and the other hobbits are treated in the uh, that relationship in the films. But it's very relevant to the Bilbo question because again, this is another thing. Going back to the other comment about the quest for Erebor material. Gandalf makes a big deal about this, that he had he he went to Bilbo's house when he's telling the story in the quest for Erebor. Gandalf says he goes to Bilbo's house not randomly, but because he had met Bilbo before when Bilbo was young. When Bilbo was young and impressionable, he had seemed very prom- like a very he he seemed very promising. He thought he was full of potential. So when he was sitting there thinking, "Is there something in the Shire?" Um, you know, a, a hobbit would make an awesome burglar. Is there anybody from the Shire that I could actually send with them to be their burglar? And he thinks of Bilbo because he knew him when Bilbo was a kid. Not like a, you know, kid, but like, I don't know how old he was, in his teens or his tweens or something, um, when Gandalf had last known him. And then Gandalf goes back and has the encounter, which is chapter one of The Hobbit with Bilbo, and Gandalf is shocked to find that Bilbo has grown into a stodgy middle-aged bachelor who has become much more like his father than it looked like he was going to be. So, again, part of the dynamic, especially as it's being emphasized by Gandalf after the fact, is the fact that Bilbo is older and and that like he's now this like stodgy, uh, portly, middle-aged bachelor guy, and that's what one of the things that makes it so absurd uh, to even think, and why it's such a hard sell for Gandalf to convince the dwarves that he's not. I mean, Thorin literally thinks that Gandalf is 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 mocking him. It's like you know that 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 the whole thing was a cruel joke at his expense. That's that's how how violent his assessment of Bilbo is. I mean, he thinks that it must be a deliberate mockery on Gandalf's part even to suggest that this guy could be their bar- could be their burglar. Um, so that is the impact, therefore, that having a very young-looking Martin Freeman, um, you know, if, if, if the film is going to depict Bilbo as even a little bit Elijah Wood-like, and again, and by that I mean the way that Frodo's character was treated and was altered in The Lord of the Rings. If he's going to be the young, clueless one whose character arc starts at young, naive, and ignorant and moves on to like wise, experienced, and having been aged and matured by suffering, if that's going to be the character arc of Bilbo uh, in The Hobbit, or if it's even going to be kind of related to that, it's going to make a big change. Bilbo has a lot of changing to do, um, and his character arc is very dramatic in the book, but it's not that one. He's not young, naive, and ignorant. He's ignorant, but he's not young and naive. Oh, he's naive about you know the wild and the adventures and stuff. But again, it's a different story. Uh, and again, they can tell whatever story. I mean, the story they told about Frodo worked perfectly fine. My only point about that when we were discussing it was that it was a major change. And yep. it's a very different kind of story than the book is telling. So if they're going to do the young Bilbo thing, 
um, then again, that's going to be a very different story. And it might work, but it is going to be very different. So to me, that's the important thing to focus on when we're thinking about the age of the actors and how and how they're looking. And the same thing as we you know, this is you know, the reason we brought this up a couple months ago was talking about Thorin because with Thorin, of course, it's the same thing depicting. Uh, depicting a black-bearded prime of his life, Thorin, is very different from the 200-year-old white-bearded Thorin we get in the book. Um, you know, and again, it's and it's much more than just appearance. It is about where he is in his own story, and therefore what kind of um, what kind of, of of character he is, and what kind of arc his character is going to have. So, so yes, I agree. That's certainly um, where I would recommend that we that you know, people should sort of keep their focus when they're thinking about the age issue. But anyway, yeah, we should probably should. Are there any other uh, uh, listener feedback things we should get to? Or, nope, uh, that is all of it. Should we move on to our, to our topic after? That is all of it. Okay, we should excellent. go on to our topic. Well, I guess yeah, we started late. Yeah, We're only we... actually 50 minutes into the broadcast. So. Yeah, and, and our new our new benchmark is like two and a half hours, I think. So. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, we should probably try to keep ourselves to within two hours. But anyway, today we are talking about Gollum. Um, so, uh, okay, okay, Gollum. So the big issue with Gollum is... How are they going to handle, having given Gollum the kind of introduction that they have in The Lord of the Rings, how are they going to handle Gollum in the films, uh, in the Hobbit films? Because, of course, he's a very important character in the Hobbit book, but he's a very minor character. He only appears for the one chapter, and that's all that he does in the story, and we don't get that much character development. Certainly nothing like the character development we get from Gollum in principally the two towers and the return of the king in the Lord of the Rings. Um, but there are, there's a bunch of, so I'm going to have to kind of, I was, I, I was about to say enter lecture mode as if I haven't been in it already. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> I'm going to have to kind of enter lecture mode a little bit <clears throat> to kind of give some background on Gollum because there are a bunch of different things which factor into this. And I think that we need to kind of keep in mind um, in order to sort of evaluate both the position, uh, the, the sort of the creative position that Peter Jackson is in right now, or was when he was planning this, um, and uh, and and sort of where Gollum was in the story. So, okay. One thing is one thing that I think is very important to remember. Um, some people might think, <clears throat> well, depicting Gollum this way is totally different. That is, you know. Tolkien writes The Hobbit, you know, published in 1937. Um, so this is published like 20 years before The Two Towers and The Return of the King are published. Um, so he, like, th- that, the character development that is in The Golem of the Lord of the Rings is like not a glimmer in Tolkien's eye when he's writing The Hobbit. Um, <clears throat> so basically it's kind of a you know so basically the the situation is totally different for peter jackson because he started with the lord of the rings and thus the big character development of gollum and now he's got to go back and depict a gollum a post lord of the rings gollum in the hobbit which is a totally different situation from what tolkien had and the main thing that i would say, the the first and primary thing that i would that I would urge people to remember is that that's actually not true. Tolkien faced, in a sense... He did exactly, exactly the same the thing. Same, exactly the same thing. The, the Gollum that, that everybody knows 
uh, and reads about in The Hobbit is based on the Lord of the Rings Gollum, and 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 in and in a in a in a very real way post dates the character development that Gollum gets in the Two Towers and the Return of the King, which um, is what a lot of people forget is or don't or never even knew is that the the version of the Hobbit that we all read that is in print now is very different from the 1937 Hobbit in this respect. Chapter 5 was massively changed in 1951. Um, when Tolkien was, uh, it was, I think, uh, like the sixth printing of The Hobbit. They were doing a sixth printing, and um, Tolkien was submitting some uh, some corrections you know he had noticed some things that he wanted to change either that he wanted to change or that the printers had gotten wrong um in the hobbit so he was asked by his publisher um was there anything that you know he wanted to correct and he was like yes here's a list of uh you know like minor spelling issues and things like that that i would like to see corrected in the next printing oh and by the way i've rewritten chapter five here it is (laughs) and so he gave them a rewritten chapter five and he didn't even think he, he didn't even know that they were going to incorporate that. You know, he just sent it to him and he's like, "Here, I've, re- I've, I've rewritten cha- chapter five. What do you think of it? I, I, I would love to hear your opinion." And then when the sixth printing came out, and he got the copy, he saw his new chapter five in it and was like, "Whoa, <laughs> look, <laughs> the new chapter I wrote. There it is." He didn't even know they were going to do that. Um, but why had Tolkien rewritten chapter five of The Hobbit? the Gollum chapter? Well, because the story had developed such that the original chapter 5 could not work anymore. It was complete. He had he had insoluble internal consistency problems with his original chapter 5. Um, chiefly because he's changed the way that the ring works and the way, the way the ring operates. In The Hobbit, as written and published in 1937, the ring is not a ring of power, it is not Sauron's, it is just a magic ring of invisibility that Gollum has. Gollum is not is not really a tragic character. He's just this funny, strange creature who lives underground and happens to have a magic ring. And Bilbo finds that magic ring, wins the riddle contest. Um, and, and this is the thing that, this is the really cool thing, of course, the lying story that Bilbo tells to the dwarves, which he repents of um, and, you know, alludes to in the council of Elrond and everything was the first edition text in the first edition. Gollum the original, the terms of the deal. When Go- Gollum says, I'll give you a present. Uh, the, the terms of the riddle deal are: if Bilbo loses, Gollum will eat him, just like in the in the in the later version. But if Bilbo wins, Gollum will give him a present, and he means to give him the ring. It's the ring that he's thinking of. So when Bilbo wins the competition, which he does in the same way with the "What have I got in my pocket?" thing, um, when he wins the competition, Gollum goes back to his island to find his ring, just like he does in the later story, except he's not going back to turn it on, become invisible, and sneak back and murder Bilbo treacherously. He's going back to find the ring so he can hand it over, because he lost. And, and, and there's even a line where, uh, in the first edition, where, where uh, the narrator says that, you know, Gollum knows that you must never, ever, ever cheat at the riddle game. Gollum takes the rules of the riddle game very seriously and would never cheat at them. So he's going to hand over the ring. And he's and, 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 and it's, it's so cool. I love the way Tolkien does this. He keeps so many of the original lines and ideas from the first edition, but completely recontextualizes them. So you remember the moment in The Hobbit where Bilbo, you know, he's 
Gollum has gone away to his little island. Bilbo doesn't know where he's going because it's dark. He just knows that he goes away in his boat. But then he hears these shouts and screams in the distance. Ah, where is it? Where is it? Well, that happens in the first edition too. Except instead of the, like, somebody has stolen my ring, he's upset because he's like, oh, no, I'm not going to be able to keep my promise. I told him I'd give him a present, and now I don't have a present to give. And Gollum comes pelting back up to Bilbo, and it's like, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, he apologizes <laughs> time and time again for, like, not being able to fulfill his promise, and Bilbo's like, well, that's okay. Um, how about you show me the way out instead as a reward instead of a present? And Gollum is like, okay. So they do. So they go out and they wave cheerful, a cheerful farewell to each other, and, uh, and, and that's the end of Gollum in the first edition story. Now, again, everything else in The Hobbit works fine when Tolkien goes back and decides that Bilbo's invisibility ring that he finds is going to be the ring of power and is going to be the whole sort of, you know, centerpiece of the sequel story that was developing and growing enormously as he was working on it. When Tolkien makes that decision, he realizes, of course, that original Gollum story, not going to work. Like, there's a 0% chance that Gollum would ever actually intend to just hand over the ring like that. So the one thing in the, you know, all of the rest of Bilbo Bilbo's use of the ring uh, uh, and his interactions with the ring uh, in, in the original Hobbit are perfectly consistent with, you know, the ring of power later on. Huh. But, um, but that one was not possible. So that's why he rewrote Chapter 5. So he, re- so he makes Gollum... Uh, he makes Gollum never intend to give over the ring. He's just going to treacherously murder Bilbo. You know, the idea of giving a present is not even uh, on the table from the beginning. Gollum doesn't even think of that. Instead, he proposes from the beginning that he'll give it what it wants and shows it the way out, right? So that, that's the initial terms of the, of the competition. And, of course, when they, you know, the, 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 the departure and the, you know, Bilbo putting on the ring and Gollum missing him in the hallway and then following him out and jumping over him in the dark and Baggins, we hates it forever, all of that stuff is new in the revised version of Chapter 5. So, uh, also, by the way, you may remember that moment near the very end of Chapter 5 when Bilbo has gone past Gollum and, he's, and the goblins are guarding the back gate the back door and he's trying to get out and he goes into the, he goes into the room and finds that the ring has slipped off its finger. And there's that reference of like a final trick that the ring was playing before it took a new master. That's not in the first edition either. Um, that was also changed. Right. So anyway, um, so you've got all this stuff that has been, that, that has been altered and it was altered because of the Lord of the Rings. He'd already written the two tower stuff about huh. Gollum. He'd already developed the Ring of Power, and so he makes Gollum in The Hobbit. In The Hobbit that we all know and love, he made that Gollum consistent with... It is, it is in, in, in a very direct way inspired by or based upon the Gollum from The Lord of the Rings. So, Peter Jackson is, in fact, in a very closely parallel situation. Um, now, to me, the really big question is, is he going to be able to let it go? That was one thing that Tolkien did. Right, Tolkien did say, "Okay, like I, you know, I have this big Gollum development in the Lord of the Rings, but that doesn't mean I'm going to go back and make him into a larger character in the story. He's still going to be confined to Chapter Five, but he's but but he did change the way that Gollum was depicted in Chapter Five. Um, so is Peter Jackson going to be able to do that? Is Peter Jackson going to say, okay, um, what's are we going to actually have Gollum just show up and do the riddle and then disappear? Um, 
is there going to be you know any kind of uh, a, a, of you know an arc or trajectory in Gollum's character? Um, how is how is Peter Jackson going to be handling that? Um, one last thing that I would say, and then I will I will exit lecture mode here uh, on the history of Gollum, hmm. is that it's not just the events of the story that Tolkien changed. He also made some very interesting changes about Gollum's character, and that is how he's depicted, how he comes across, um, and that there there are I would characterize two ways that he changed Gollum. He simultaneously made Gollum more wicked, more treacherous, more evil, um, and also more miserable and more pitiable. Um, the, um, the line, for instance, one of the lines which is, uh, which is so moving uh, in the Hobbit version, the, the, um, the fact that Gollum was kind of enjoying talking to Bilbo and it, it, you know, or how, how he wanted to do the riddle game because it was one of the only games that he used to play uh, with his with his friends. Let me see if I can find that. Uh, um, let me see if I can find that passage here. Yes, okay. Um, Riddles were all he could think of. Asking them and sometimes guessing them had been the only game he had ever played with other funny creatures sitting in their holes in the long, long ago before he lost all his friends and was driven away alone and crept down, down into the dark under the mountain. In the first edition, the line just says, um, I don't remember word for word, but it says, like, the only game he had ever played with other funny creatures um, who lived in the mountains. So like Gollum has like some buddies down there in like other caves. I don't know what they are. Like, I, you know, whether it's the squid or what, I don't know who, who he's playing riddle games squid. with, uh, at, you know, <laughs> under the misty mountain. I don't know. But, um, like, you know, it, it, it does kind of uh, provoke this really, uh, this really funny uh, image of like Gollum and the Watcher in the Water and the Balrog sitting around and like playing the riddle game, you know, for fun on weekends. <laughs> but anyway, uh, we, you know, so, so the other funny creatures that was from the first edition. But but now, so notice what Tolkien has added was the, is this memory of the long, long ago before he lost all his friends and was driven away alone and crept down, down into the dark under the mountain. This glimpse of Gollum's lost past and how he was driven away and how he's now sort of miserable in solitude and darkness under the mountains, that call on the reader to have pity on Gollum and to pity his circumstance, of course, greatly sets up the 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 choice that Bilbo makes, which again was never a choice um, whether or not to kill him. At the end, the choice, you know, the, 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 the pity that, Gollum, that Bilbo shows to Gollum, which is so crucial um, for the whole Lord of the Rings story, of course, as Gandalf emphasizes to Frodo, um, that was absent in the first edition. Um, so, so, so Tolkien is kind of setting that up here in making Gollum more miserable, more wretched, uh, more, more pitiable. So... So again, that shift, <clears throat> that shift from a much more simple, straightforward, uh, you know, honest and playing the riddle game with integrity, Gollum, but still, you know, still somebody who sneaks up on somebody and murders them from behind me. It's not like he was a great guy uh, in the first edition, um, but he's not treacherous. He's less corrupted, 
and he's much more pitiable. So again, even that that kind of a shift in character, that that shift was brought about by the development of the Lord of the Rings story in the interim. Remember, it was 1950 when he sent this. 1951 when it came out. It was 1950 when he sent it to his publishers. Um, so that was already 12 years into the writing of the Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, um, so. These, these, the, this is all kind of the background story of the history of Gollum's character, and therefore, I think, sort of serves as a really interesting context for the, uh, for the question of how they're going to be handling Gollum's character in the films. Right. Um, because, again, clearly, they cannot go backwards. They, or, I mean, not, not so far backwards, anyway. Just as they are stuck with having the ring be the ring of power, um, they are also... <laughs> to say this, and I and and I I I don't mean this uh, slightingly as it might sound. They're also stuck with Andy Serkis. That is, they're stuck with the Gollum that everybody saw and loved in the Lord of the Rings films. Um, so, uh, but I don't think that that necessarily means he's going to be identical. How are they? Are they going to try to do some kind of prequel character arc to Gollum? Are they going to be trying to set up? Uh, the character situation that we see in Gollum, um, you know, ways which are going to kind of retroactively contextualize the very beginning of Gollum's interaction with uh, with Frodo and Sam in the Two Towers, for instance. Right. Um, you know, I, so 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 I, I I don't think it means that they're locked into depicting ex, you know him do, acting and being in precisely the same way that he was in the Two Towers, um, but. But obviously, they cannot simply, you know, try to turn the page and, and, and make, you know, he's, he's going to have to be consistent with that. And we already know that he's going to look consistent with that because we've already seen him in the trailers. So, um, anyway, so that's, that's, our, that's our, 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 our question, our, our, our prediction question uh, for today, which I'm kind of jumping to a little earlier because I think... It'd uh, be good to contextualize our the, discussion, yeah. Yeah, talking about the various possibilities um, <clears throat> will be will be good. So basically, our prediction question is: how is how is the depiction of Gollum going to be done in the Hobbit in in relationship to the his depiction in the Lord of the Rings? How different how different, if at all, is Gollum going to be uh, in in the Hobbit compared to the Lord of the Rings? So I'm I'm forgetting. I'm for, I'm forgetting what order we decided to, to do these in, Dave. Uh, I can read what them off a? for you since they're in the yeah. uh, show yeah. notes. So, okay. um, yeah, I want you to do that. Yeah, here you go. Uh, the question is, as Corey just said, how will Gollum in The Hobbit compare to his portrayal in The Lord of the Rings? Um, option A is he'll be portrayed as more sympathetic, perhaps by showing flashbacks or revealing more of his internal psychology. So so what we're really getting at here is that there's all these different – much like there's different portrayals of Bilbo across different Tolkien works, there's different portrayals of Gollum across different – not just different works, but also different editions of the works, as Corey just explained, and in the movies. And um, – you know, Gollum, Gollum in The Hobbit is actually a very villainous character. We don't get a nice, well-rounded picture of, of him before he found the ring and before he was corrupted. Whereas in The Lord of the Rings, in the book, particularly in the films, we get this picture of him as being, you know, he, he actually used to be very similar to Hobbits and was, was right. maybe a somewhat likable fellow before he encountered the ring. So um, so in A, what we're getting at is that, that they'll actually – they'll sort of continue the trend – 
that you saw with each of the subsequent Lord of the Ring films, revealing more of his backstory and making him a more well-rounded and sympathetic character, that in The Hobbit they'll actually continue that trend and make him more sympathetic by, by giving us more background material. Um, option... Yeah, and, 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 and this will be just let me just expand on this for a little bit. Sure, yeah, go ahead. Since, since we're starting our prediction early, we can take longer to do it. Yeah. Um, basically, the... the... <laughs> what I would think that this this would involve from their point of view essentially is expanding on those notes that are there, like that line I just read from chapter five um, about the about you know him him being driven away in the long long ago. We get several glimpses, very short glimpses in the Hobbit text uh, of in that is in this in this revised edition of the long long of of Gollum in the long long ago like when he's guessing the egg riddle and we get this very brief glimpse of him sitting on a river bank with his grandmother teaching her how to suck eggs but anyway so it's just not very not very glamorous and I doubt they'll depict that on film but anyway uh he, <laughs> but we, but nevertheless if you can ignore the egg sucking part we do get this one brief glimpse of a memory of of a happy smeagol of course we don't get his name in the hobbit um, but we do get we do get this like brief memories of Happy Gollum from his former life. Uh, so those touches are there, and they're introduced in the they're introduced in the revised edition of the Hobbit. Uh, but but they are there. So one could imagine, especially in the context of the Riddle game, one could imagine um, a treatment of Gollum in the film, which essentially shows. Which Tol- which Tolkien implies, and which Gandalf implies, or suggests much more heavily in Chapter Two of the Fellowship of the Ring, when he says that uh, he thinks that talking to Bilbo was actually pleasant for Gollum in some ways, that it called up memories of sun on the daisies and things like that that he hadn't thought about for a really long time. We, I, I could imagine a depiction of Gollum in the films which basically shows this kind of awakening in him. And that's, I think, what I was getting at when I was saying that it would be possible for them to do a kind of a prequel character arc Gollum. Um, We see him in the Two Towers film going through some, you know... uh, you know the the inner torment. We see like the the good Gollum and the bad Gollum, uh, and we could essentially I, th- I I could see them doing it in such a way that during this during his interchange with Bilbo, the good Gollum kind of like awakens essentially. That it's that it is a a kind of moment of awakening for him, and that he's sort of torn between his you know desire to to you know kill and eat Bilbo and the fact that he actually is being stirred or moved in various ways by his memory of his past mm-hmm. and that could be done even to you know the sort of the extremist version of this would be actual flashbacks like you know the flashbacks of Andy Circus as Smeagol finding the ring and strangling Deagle in uh in uh, in the Return of the King, we could we could get you know happy flashbacks to Gollum's childhood um, and the memories that uh, that his conversation with Bilbo is stirring up. That's possible. I mean, that would be a lot of screen time. Though again, I can imagine them spending a lot of screen time on Gollum because he was a big deal in the, in the Lord of the Rings films. So, yep. um, so yeah. So basically, option A for this particular prediction question would be basically something along those lines. The film's going out of their way in that 
kind of way. Not, you know, it wouldn't necessarily have to be done precisely like that, but uh, to go out of their way to pick up on those 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 smaller cues that we get in the book to be sympathetic to Gom, to 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 have pity on him and sympathy for his situation. Right. That that would be exaggerated in the film, and and that one of the primary. Um, the, the the primary uh, sort of focuses that we would be directed to in our uh, in our viewing of it would be towards building sympathy for him. Yep. So that's one option. Um, option yep. B is he'll be portrayed pretty much the same. So right. they won't really expand right. on his character that much or or alter him. That they'll just kind of they they'll decide that what they had in. Um, um, in the Lord of the Rings was was great, and why fix what ain't broken? So they'll pretty much portray him the same. Although that does beg an interesting question because his portrayal throughout the films is actually quite varied. So um, we probably should address that some. Right. Yeah. Um, and I guess I guess what I would count as because yeah, I mean, sure, he's he acts lots of different ways in the movies. So you could you could take. Uh, you know, like, well, in The Hobbit, he acted in a similar way that he did in this particular scene in the films. Like, surely one would be able to build a kind of a case for that. But I guess what I mean by that is that I would say that the core... Um, all right. I would identify as the core of Screen Gollum's character depiction is his internal division is the good Gollum versus bad Gollum internal psychology issue. Schizophrenic Gollum. Gollum. Yeah, exactly. Schizophrenic Gollum, I think, is the heart of the Andy Serkis Gollum depiction in The Lord of the Rings. And we see it fluctuate in various ways. We see him, uh, you know, we see, like, both of those two sides. You know, of course, we have the famous, like, self-exorcist scene, uh, you know, when he seems briefly to kick out the bad golem or quiet it in some sense, and then it come back uh, when he's abused by the by 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 Faramir's men. Um, anyways, I mean, I think that there's there's obviously there's lots of like you know ebbing and flowing in that relationship, but I think that that element is the primary thing. So are we going? So I would count. I would count the Hobbit depiction as counting as our option B here, if that same thing is true. If the same thing that if what we see in Gollum in the Hobbit film is still primarily this kind of back and forth, good Gollum, bad Gollum, um, not just talking to himself in the sense of like addressing the precious and everything, because obviously he's going to do that. But I mean the kind of back and forth again, not like a, a recapitulation of the you know. Uh, go now and never come back uh, scene, but um, but again, that kind of back and forth, like he is drawn one way and then he's drawn another way and we see the 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 good Gollum with the like cute, innocent Andy Serkis face talking and then the mean, cruel, you know, uh, <clears throat> uh, scowling face uh, uh, Gollum speaking, uh, you know, in his evil, murderous voice. I mean, if you guys know the film, you know the faces and voices I'm talking about there. If, if, if again, that is the primary thing that we see happening in Gollum's character, we already see him have that divide, that divide basically being like it's going to be uh, in the films, then I would count this as B. Um, again, the difference, to me, the primary difference between A and B here is are we going to see more of the awakening of it? Are we going to see 
more emphasis on the sympathy? Is our attention going to be drawn to have pity on Gollum? Yeah. Um, or is it just going to be like, you know, again, again, we see him as already this, this, so this divided character. Yeah. Well, and the, will, will B, they... I think would be much more static. Right. Yeah. Even though, even though the character itself will essentially kind of be changeable and dynamic in some sense, uh, the, the kind of, the portrayal of him will be static in that they won't bother to try and develop him at all. They'll just, they'll just, you know, basically take advantage of the fact that there's already been several movies featuring this character and there doesn't need to be any new, new development. They don't need to tell us anything new about him or show him developing in any way or growing or changing. Um, they don't need to give us any background material about why he is the way he is. They can just take advantage of the fact that nearly everyone who sees this movie will have seen the other movies. They'll know who he is. They'll be prepared for it. They'll just give us what we expect. And, uh, and, and, you know, and there's an argument to be made for this that, that he doesn't really play a huge role in the overall Hobbit story. Right. And so right. why dedicate a lot of screen time to developing him? The most efficient thing to do would be to just use him in the role that he plays in, 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 in getting Bilbo the ring uh, and being sort of a threat. And, and the most efficient way to do that on screen is to just do him the way he was in the previous character in the previous films – and mm-hmm. and just you know dispense with any extra material and save that precious screen time for um, doing something else. Yes, exactly. Yep. <clears throat> no, I mean this is clearly the you know we seem to have uh, we seem every every show to have one option which is a if they want to be efficient here's the best way to do it uh, option and B is clearly the efficiency option. Yep. Clearly. Yep. Um, okay, so option C is uh, he'll actually be portrayed as less sympathetic and more wicked and threatening. I would call this the this is this would be the Mark Fisher answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, certainly for the yeah, I, yeah, I, I I would say so. Though again, A is A would be you know, the increased sympathy for Gollum <clears throat> option is picking up on cues from the book. I mean that that is there. And certainly there is a marked increase in sympathy that is invited for Gollum between the first edition and the revised edition uh, of The Hobbit. So, so, you know, that's definitely a book element there, too. But, um, but yeah, basically, and, and, you know, and here option C, I think, would be highly defensible. It would certainly be easy to see uh, from, uh, from, a, from an overall story perspective because, of course, one, there's one major difference between Gollum as we will see him in The Hobbit and Gollum as we saw him in The Lord of the Rings. And that is, he has the ring. He's not just have it on. Um, he's not holding it. But we, we, we will be seeing Gollum here while he is still in the possession of and presumably therefore um, you know, potentially even more fully under the domination of the ring. Gandalf says again in Chapter 2 of The Fellowship of the Ring that Gollum had started to improve um, when he didn't have the ring anymore. Um, that he was in some ways kind of getting better. Um, not, and this is why Gandalf says that he does not, he, he says that there is not no hope for Gollum's actual healing and complete amendment. So, um, so again, Gollum is different. He, he is in a different place. Yes, he's been corrupted by the ring. Yes, he still desires it. He's still under its sway and all that. But he's not possessing it. He doesn't have it. Um, it is not currently in possession of him in the same way. 
Um, so are they going to show us they could therefore show us a different golem the more thoroughly evil i am the tool of the evil ring of power kind of golem um and and it really is i think i think it's an important question are they going to try to make golem be appear any different before he loses the ring um because they could conceivably now i mean they've already set this up somewhat in the in that opening sequence of the return of the king that we've already alluded to when they show him doing his like you know like addiction montage as he you know gets all shrunken and emaciated and turns physically into gollum as we see him uh, in the Lord of the Rings films from the, you know, happy hobbit Andy Circus that we get at the very beginning of the return of the King when we see him strangling the eagle. So, right. um, anyway, I, I, I do think therefore that there, there, there is argument to say that they, you know, basically you could say through that scene, through that depiction of his, of his decline, Peter Jackson has already basically rolled the dice and said, um, you know his life under the ring is what is what corrupted him and turned him into this. So he's not going to be or look very different. We know he's not going to look very different, but um, you know. So I, so you could say that he's he's already showing us. He has already shown us what the effect of the ring was on him. But again, I do think that there is um, there is the opportunity to give us a kind of a before and after glimpse that we get a before. He lost the ring, Gollum, being appreciably different from the after Gollum loses the ring, Gollum. Yeah, in by appreciably different, you mean sort of more corrupted, more wicked. Right, and that's why I think basically that's my long-winded explanation for why I think C would be could be plausible. Yeah, because. Um, that would be one way to do this. One way to 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 make a very different ring possessing golem is that you have a golem who is more more wicked, more thoroughly corrupted, more arrogant, you know, more domineering. Perhaps I don't know. I mean, you could make him um, you could make him act differently, um, right? As a ring wielder, or at least believing himself to be a ring wielder, or still thinking he is a ring wielder, not realizing he's lost it yet. Um, uh, and not have and have none of the the sort of cringing that Gollum has because remember in the Lord of the Rings when we meet Gollum it's not only post losing the ring it's also post being tortured cruelly by Sauron and Mordor um, which obviously was a pretty scarring experience for Gollum um, as we see evidence of when he um, uh, when he is sort of crying out, my poor hands, I don't know what they did to him, but it must have been awful. And uh, um, anyway, so I mean, we, we, we know that he has been, that he has been tortured and was, and was affected by that. And part of his cringing and his fearfulness seems to be derived not just from being out under the sun and not having the ring, but from his experiences being captured by Sauron. So this is before that too. So we could very easily see a more arrogant, more domineering, more sort of wickedly masterful kind of Gollum who styles himself, who, who, who believes that he is, you know, a major powerful person, you know, wicked person because he's sitting there under the mountain with his ring. 
Um, I, 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 I don't know that that's going to happen, but I could see it happening. I think that there's there's certainly an argument to be made for it. Right. Interesting. Okay, so option D, and our final option, is our um, is our uh, uh, our cop out answer. <laughs> our none of the above answer. Yes, much like we had last week, uh, our last episode. It's the he will receive insufficient screen time for us to be able to tell. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. D is going to be is going to be sort of tough. I'm I'm almost tempted we... to. There's part of me that's tempted to jettison this. Just leave it down to yeah. three options, uh, and 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 D gets folded into B, which is far as we can tell, he looks yeah. pretty much the same. Right. Because you got to think that if he's gonna, if they're gonna do a minimalist golem, the only way to do a minimalist golem would be to be uh to do an option B golem. You know, to do a uh, we're just gonna we're just gonna wheel out Andy Circus and have him do his golem thing that everybody recognizes and uh you know, and that's a wrap on on Gollum. What are the, what um, do our what are, what does the crowd think? What are the people who are currently yeah. listening and still in the thing? Uh I can't see their responses, but do they think we should jettison this? Um yeah, let's see. <laughs> Well, Brent is concerned. He says he's not sure they're going to have time to develop his character more because they have to focus on Kiwi's hotness. So uh, yes, that's true. In order to get, they really need to spend a lot of screen time on that. Yeah, in order to get sufficient shots of Kiwi, you know, in like a a, a, you know a wet shirt and everything, you know, they've got to uh, they've got to they've got to cut down. (laughs) Um, Yeah, Brent also does point out that in the uh, the five minute. In the uh, CinemaCon clip, which did include a lot of Gollum footage, uh, according to all accounts, um, nobody has mentioned any flashbacks. Of course, it doesn't, as Brent says, it doesn't prove that there aren't. It doesn't prove that there are none. But uh, anyway, um, so so yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. Anybody have any any suggestions for? Because I mean, I always feel like if we just stick it to those three options, you know, they're always, I, I always feel compelled to do, you know, to have at least one option be, he's just going to do something totally different. Like it's just going to be, it's going to be, it's, it's going to be basically to have it be essentially none of the above. Um, so. Yeah, it's true. The, yeah, but, uh, so maybe we, maybe we change it from D insufficient screen time to just D None of the above. That that way, you know, if people are like, "Oh, we think it'll actually be a more heroic golem," right? right. <laughs> Which would be sympathetic. I mean, I, that could count as a. But uh... no. What if he's an unsympathetic hero? Oh, yeah. he'll be anti-hero oh. golem. <laughs> anti-hero golem. Uh, maybe. Maybe there's some Gollum the, what does he say, what does he say when he's having his Gollum delusions of grandeur? Yes, yes. <laughs> most precious Gollum. Yes. All right. Okay. So fine. Answer D. We're we're going to change that to just a a plain none of the above because I I really think insufficient screen time really boils down to B. Yeah, I think I think it in practice it's hard to imagine that not happening. Because it's not like they're going to cut it out. I mean, it's not like we're not going to get Gollum. I mean, that's uh, – we could plausibly 
get a, an insufficient <laughs> screen time answer for the Bilbo stuff, for the Bilbo's background stuff we yeah. were talking about last time. I mean, that's easy to imagine. Um, imagining that we're not going to get Gollum on screen enough to be able to gauge what his character is about. Right. Or, the, or just, if they do give him very little screen time, it's just going to look irresistibly like B, probably. Yeah, exactly. People are going to assume B. I mean, goodness, even if he just pops his... Even if he does nothing... Even if he were to have done nothing other than peer over the top of the rock like he does in the trailer, everyone would be like, oh, yeah, that's Gollum. Like, we yep. know Gollum. He's just... I mean, it would still... People would, would very understandably make the assumption that basically it's B, that he's... that he's that he's This is the same Gollum. It looks like the same Gollum. Same Gollum that we saw uh, in Lord of the Rings. So... Yep, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So, yeah. so to yeah. review so our we, options, we have, we have um, some general agreement of rolling B and D together. This. So let's just say B is none of the above. Just yeah. B is something. So if people have some some alternative wacky Gollum theory that we haven't thought of, they can vote D. Yep. And uh, we will allow D to be a kind of a, a you know a catch-all for for wacky Gollum theories. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I, th- I think that's probably smart. Um, yeah. Okay, so to review, option A is he'll be portrayed as more sympathetic, most likely yep. uh, by showing us additional flashbacks uh, to his pre-ring life, or revealing or, or giving us more of the sympathetic late in the Lord of the Rings films Smeagol side that we got to see in the Two Towers and in the, in the um, Return of the King. Um, mm-hmm. uh, B is he'll be pretty much the same that there'll be a lot of the sort of schizophrenic kind of internal you know uh, arguments with self type stuff um, <coughs> and then option C was um, uh, that and and with B we're saying sort of that's also like if they go the route of of uh, it really has more to do with how he's portrayed and more more to do with uh, what they don't show us, which is they don't give us extra material and they don't show us um, behaviors that are radically different from what what they what he, what we saw in the other films, and we get equal parts of sympathy, sympathetic side, and wicked side. So mm-hmm. so it's really and if they go with minimalist, they don't show a lot of him on screen, then then more than likely he's going to look a lot like like what we saw yep. in the in the Lord of the Rings films. Option C. Yep. He's portrayed as less sympathetic and more wicked. They really play up the the, the Gollum side, uh, and they really play up the fact that he's been in possession of the ring for a long time, uh, and he hasn't had a chance to recover yet. Um, and, they, and and that he really is portrayed as as a foil and a foe for Bilbo, the way he is in you know in the Hobbit. Mm-hmm. Uh, option D is um, none of the above. Corey and David have insufficient imaginations to dream up answers. <laughs> yes, 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 exactly. Okay, okay. Are you ready to commit? Yeah, I think so. I'm going to let you go first. Okay. Unless you unless you aren't ready. No, I am. See, here's the problem that I have so often. That is, there's the answer to the question, which option would I really like to see? And then there's the option: which one do I think I believe? Which one do I believe I'm going to see? Uh, the answer to the first question: which one would I really like to see? 
I would I would actually be very interested in either A or C. I would yes. especially love to see A. I think doing a really cool like, if if it were well done, doing A like this is the genesis of the like they could they could do some really cool setups of some of the really important moments in the return of the king mm-hmm. uh, and 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 the two towers um you know which were actually sort of anticipations of those moments in the film where we see so that like if you go back and watch the lord of the rings after watching the hobbit you would actually sort of get more out of those out of those scenes in the lord of the rings where we see like oh yes like i see here you know gollum is probably remembering like that moment with bilbo and but, like, i mean i think it could be done really really well and I do think that sort of creating sympathy for Gollum is a really important thing and certainly is very much in the spirit of one of the things, anyway, that Tolkien was doing um, with the changes that he made to the Gollum character. But I don't think they're going to do that. So I, I, as awesome as I think that that could be, as well as I think it could work and as interesting as I think it would be, um, I, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, C, I think, would also be pretty cool. And I think could be, to, especially if they were to have, you know, to use that to set up Bilbo's crisis of conscience when he makes his big decision to have pity on Gollum and not stab him, um, you know, so that you have wicked Gollum and Bilbo has every justification, has every reason to think, or at least to convince himself that he thinks that Gollum is simply like an evil thing which should be executed, but yet Bilbo makes this choice, and yet, yet Bilbo sees, um, you know, the potential connection between him and Gollum, and how, you know, basically has does have have pity, does feel sympathy, even despite Gollum's wickedness and his evil intentions towards himself. So I get that could be done really well. Um, that could be really interesting to see, but in the end, I think we're going to see B. <laughs> at the end of the day I'm going with B despite the fact that I really love these other two things and if I were telling the story I would probably try to do it differently I, when I'm actually compelled to predict what I think we're going to see in the film I think we're going to see B yep and guess what that's my answer as well that's your uh, answer too yeah yeah, yeah. I, I just well, I, mean, I think I agree I, I think that I think if we don't see B the most likely well I don't know I think if we don't see B, in my opinion, A is way easier to do than C. Um, C is is so C is there's two problems with C in my opinion. One, it's very anti it's very anti modern film like and and, and just our general postmodern um, uh, you know trend like portraying care. I, I think that if you portray if you if you do play up the wicked side, you you risk coming across him coming across as um, as superficial and flat. Like I can I can see the reviews right. already. I can see the reviewers right. saying like really you know like we're we're really disappointed disappointed with the Gollum scenes because he was he you know he was such an interesting and deep and complex psychologically complex character in the other films right. and now they just right. made him this flat evil character and we don't get to see any of the other sides of him I can just see all that right now and and I just think yeah. it would be so hard to portray him in a way that a modern audience will will accept him so C just seems although I like C cuz it's kind of more true to the book and and even to the myth, you know to the to the to the the rules of the secondary world the guy's had the ring he's been living in a dank hole this whole time um right i just think it'll by be, himself yeah exactly yeah <laughs> so of course he's going to be really really goofy 
I think it's just too hard, and I don't think the modern audience will necessarily like it. Um, I think that A is more likely is an easier thing to do, but it, I think it's going in the wrong dire- taking the character in the wrong direction, right? Like the what's supposed to be so interesting about his journey with Frodo and Bilbo is the fact that they that the name of the chapter is the Taming of Smeagol. You know right. that that. Right. The fact that he hasn't had the ring, that he's come out of the hole, he's been in the sunlight, and the fact that they talk to him and treat him kindly, he's been shown mercy several times now, starts to get through to him and change him. And so uh, you, you you sort of take the character in the wrong direction, in a sense. If you if you make, you know, down in a deep hole, has the ring golem uh, more sympathetic than, than the tame Smeagol. So... I think A is kind of I don't know I think A would A and C I think are both very difficult to do uh, I I have a hard yes. time imagining how they would do it I think A on screen in terms of traditional filmmaking A is easier because it's always easier to make a character look complex by having him do evil things but then showing that maybe he has reasons you know that there's a reason why he is right. the way he is because he's been treated bad that's such a common trope in modern television right. and film these days uh, it's yeah. like yes. It's like it's like all of Game of Thrones is that basically, <laughs> <laughs> right? Nobody's evil, right. nobody's good. They're all just you know really disturbed. Um, right. They're all just disturbed because they've all been abused in horrible ways. Yes, that's right. By other people who it turns <laughs> out weren't all that bad either. Um, right. So I think at the right. end of the day, and then, and you know, and when you start getting into practical considerations, okay, doing A or C in a way that does it justice and doesn't come across as superficial. Doing either of those is going to, you know, it ends up being 20 pages of script and a ton of screen mm-hmm. time. I think it just comes down to, you know what, this just really isn't that important to the overall story we're trying to tell. Let's just let's just get in and get out as quickly as we can in this scene. So I think we're left with B. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, that's a really good point that you make. And, of course, I would return to something that I've said many times which about my own kind of theoretical, imaginary, how I would love to see the film done if it were up to me. Um, I just sort of will repeat what I've said many times, which is it is almost inescapably certain that a film just like the one that I would love to see in my head would be awful and everyone would hate it. Um, and would probably be a much worse movie uh, than <laughs> whatever uh, you know the actual filmmaking professionals <laughs> will come up with, um, because yeah, I mean exactly the kinds of touches that I think would be so cool about A are things which would be really really hard to do. Because you're right, you can't take Gollum too far in the other direction at the beginning. You can't make him like. You can't have the audience thinking that what just happened with Gollum and Bilbo was like a conversion experience for Gollum. Right, because yeah. as you say, that 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 doesn't set up what comes up later. That undermines what comes up later. It would have to be much more subtle than that, so that you have just like the initial awakening of of things. You know, the 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 initial sparks, which will be years later fanned to life by his treatment by Frodo and everything else. But boy, that's hard to do. I mean, basically, in in other words, what I'm kind of wanting is for the films to do something just as subtly as, as Tolkien in fact does it in the book. I mean, those couple references of his grandmother and his being driven out from his homes. I mean, we get like a few parts of sentences sprinkled through that chapter to give us just the most distant faint glimpse of a happy path for Gollum. And therefore the notion that his current situation is in fact a tragic one 
those seeds are planted in the reader's mind, right. and we can see, therefore, uh, at least glimpse of material, which is eventually going to grow into, you know, the stuff that we're going to see in the Lord of the Rings. Um, so, like, that's basically the kind of thing that I think that they could do. Obviously, they'd have to be more overt about it, um, because you can't have that. There's no, there's no film equivalent to the, you know throwing something off to us in the introductory subordinate clause of a sentence kind of thing that, that you can do in a book. Yep. Um, you, you have to, if you want readers, if you want audience viewers, you know, film viewers to get it, you've got to put it out, out there. You've got to, you've got to, you've got to put it on screen. Yep. Um, so, so yeah, I think it would be, it would be very, very difficult. To yeah. Do. I, 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 I think the, cool, but... the only way they could do it that doesn't undermine things would be via flashbacks. We, we show mm-hmm. we, so that his on-screen behavior is largely him being pretty evil, um, uh, uh, with, with some conflict, but mostly evil. Um, uh, or c- certainly the Smeagol side could be, has to be portrayed not as, sympathizing with Bilbo or wanting to be good to Bilbo, but rather sort of more this kind of um, uh, vestigial Smeagol side that's being abused and, and mistreated and bullied by the Gollum side. And then, uh, but but the way that you create sympathy for him is is you connect that back to past events that happened to him that have to be delivered via flashback. I just don't, mm-hmm. there's just not screen time for that, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, I would say if we do see on screen either Andy Serkis in his cute little hobbit clothes or Smeagol's grandmother, if we see either one of those two things on screen, I, I, I'll be just about ready to declare victory for A. But, yes. um I mean, that is uh, unless we see his grandmother cruelly beating him or something like that. Uh, <laughs> but, um, uh, but... But even then, even then, it would be increased sympathy for him. So yeah, no, I mean, I basically, I think if if we were to get any, even even the briefest of flashbacks, um, that you know, if uh, if if Bilbo tells the egg riddle, or if Bilbo tells the son on the daisies riddle, and we get Gollum thinking, and you know, any kind of a glimpse of you know, like a like a three second shot of you know Andy Circus in his little Hobbit overalls picking a picking a daisy uh, in a sunny meadow, like I'm going straight to A. <laughs> you know, that's 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 that because that's exactly the kind of way that I think that we would uh, see that kind of building of sympathy. Yeah, yeah, that's a good that's a good point. Crap, <laughs> you're making it more complicated. Um, <laughs> I, I, just, I, I just, I mean, I do think these other things are possible, but, but, I, but anyway, I, I'm going to stick to my prediction. I'm predicting B. Me too. I'm sticking with B as well. I, I think it will be largely the same. I, I, it, I, I was just thinking that maybe the Smeagol side will be a little bit different. He'll be less sort of friendly, helpful, want to be nice to the Hobbit, um, um, uh, Smeagol and more, more of a sort of, you know, cowardly, fearful, cowering kind of, you know, like, look, I don't want any trouble. Let's just let this guy get out of here. Kind of, uh, you know, sort of reluctant to engage in malicious behavior as opposed to, you know, uh, actually friendly toward Bilbo. But I still think at the end of the day, it's going to be pretty much the same dynamic. So, yep, B. That's what I'm going with too. Yeah, okay. Okay. Well, we have uh, a, a, a couple votes um, from uh, 
from our listeners who are in attendance here. Stephen is uh, going. Stephen and Trish are both going with C, and uh, Brent is also going with B. Um, as, uh, Brent says, uh, he's going with B. Gollum was a salient character from the Lord of the Rings films. They need that connection between the two movies. Uh, plus, they won't have sufficient screen time to develop his character. Trish is reminding us that we're forgetting the merchandising aspects of the movie, that you know, Gollum needs to be, he's going to be bad. He needs to be a bad guy so that they can have him you know, playing the bad guy in the, in the, in, like in the chess sets and stuff. He needs to be in the, like, with the evil guys. So, um, <laughs> so, anyway, so yeah, bad guy. Um, yeah. Well, that's an interesting um, point. <laughs> so yeah, Jason also is joining us with B. Um, so, uh, so yes, we'll see. Um, well, I'll see. be interested. Okay. I'm, I'm really interested to see what Mark Fisher has to say. Uh, yes, I agree. I agree. Let's see. James, uh, James Pace has voted B, said that we talked him into it. Uh, we've persuaded him. Jeremy is voting for C. So it looks like, but so far anyway, people are mostly divided between B and C. Uh, we haven't gotten anybody who's really stepping out and going to make an argument for A. It's it's my that's what I was. I'm torn between A and B. Um, I mean, I I think like C would be cool. I certainly wouldn't object. Uh, but uh, but I think I think it's going to be either it's going to be either A or B. I'm going with B because I do have to. Th- I do. I just think it's the it's the likelier one of the two. Um, so uh, in, in an effort to uh, in my cutthroat effort to win the prediction game, I'm going with B. But I think A. You know, there's a lot going for A. But I'm not. I'm not. I'm not getting any. I'm not getting any sales here on, on, on my A campaign. So nobody's so nobody's picking A. So all right, you're sticking with B. I'm sticking with B. Yeah. All right. And then we've got good. got mostly cool. B's and C's. All right. Well, very good. Yep. So, uh, so we we got some. Now we're going to next week. We're going to come back uh, to Gollum. We're not totally done with Gollum because um, what we would like to to return to. Uh, we said last time that we were beginning with last episode uh, a a little series on Bilbo. We're not just going to do one episode on Bilbo and be done. Um, but we've kind of interrupted the Bilbo story to talk about Gollum because we next want to move to uh, basically Gollum and Bilbo. We, we want to be looking at Bilbo in his, in sort of the, the not the very beginning, but kind of the middle of, uh, you know, the early middle of his adventurous career, uh, and in particular his first turning point in the, um, in, in, the Misty Mountains when he, uh, when he when he meets Gollum. This is obviously a big time for him. So we want to look at how, the, so we want to talk about how they're going to be dealing with Bilbo's character in those, in those, not the very opening sequences, but in those early moments in the film as he is becoming acclimated uh, to the journey. And of course, his interaction with Gollum is really a centerpiece of that. So we're going to be talking about that, and we will, of course, talk more specifically about the riddle game itself and how they will do the riddle game. Yep. Um, really excited. So, so is this, yep. um, to remind me now, uh, when are we going to do this? You're going out of town... Sometime I'm going soon. out of town, yeah, this weekend, um, and then I'll be out of town for two weeks. So it'll be a little bit over two weeks before we so can do our next we're episode. We're actually going to be doing do. it, which is fine. We might be able to do it. Trish and I the will Friday fill it of that week. So Trish and I are going to fill it, fill in the time with digest episodes. Right. So we right. could maybe do it. So you're coming back when? 
I'll, I could probably do it something like Friday the 30th or 29th, whatever that is. Of June. Okay, so that's possible. Or if, if we that's have possible. to, we'll put it off till um, the week of uh, the 4th of, the of July. Yeah. Yep. So we'll yep. talk about that. So keep your eyes on the, the Facebook page, uh, the MythGuard page, our Twitter accounts, uh, and we'll make announcements about when we're going to do it. Um, uh, also, I just hinted at this. So um, we have a new we have a new um, uh, team member coming on board to help us with the production of Riddles in the Dark, Trish Lambert, who is a wonderful MythGuard student and also one of our stalwart listeners. She is going to help me uh, get the Riddles in the Dark Digest episodes out the door. We have a a huge backlog of material um, uh, contributions from our analysts in terms of audio recordings and also essays they've written, um, a whole bunch of user feedback we haven't been able to address on the show yet. So we um, we really want to uh, get these uh, digest episodes off the ground. I just haven't had time to do them, but Trish is going to help me out with that and also is going to uh, serve as my co-host on those so it's not just me talking to nobody. So we're really excited about that. Hopefully the first one will be next week, and maybe we'll do another one the following week um, during the intervening, you know, while Corey's out of town. Uh, and that'll give us that'll give you a bit of a break, uh, and so you don't have to worry about this stuff on your uh, trip. And it'll also give us some time to catch up the Riddles in the Dark Digest to uh, to where we are um, on the main episodes. So very exciting. Yes. Excellent. Yep. Very um, good. Yeah. No, I'm I'm very glad to uh to to see some more of those come out and you know it's some of the, one of the things that we've been envisioning from the beginning we would really like to as you know as much fun as we have doing the individual podcast episodes we would really like to sort of extend this conversation out further and um you know we have gotten you know many people involved in you know our partners who are who are playing the game with us. Um yep. but we would love to sort of uh to spotlight their material more and to get more of uh, you guys as listeners involved. So yep. I think this will be this will be excellent. So don't let me forget, Corey. One of the things I want to talk about next time we do an episode is this uh, this blog this blog post that's been it has nothing to do with the Hobbit, but I still want to hear what you think about it. It's this blog post that's been fo- floating around. Uh, it's written on this this blog on Live Journal called Loose Connections. It's about it's yeah. the title of it is oldest and fatherless the terrible secret of tom bombadil <laughs> have you seen this oh yes oh yes you saw that article uh-huh. uh-huh i want to talk about that it's hilarious <laughs> yeah, it's hilarious it, and, it's hilarious and i i i i really i genuinely hope and mostly believe it was intended to be hilarious yeah. No, I'm sure it was. I'm pretty sure. It's... I I I really I really no. I mean, I think it's I I think it's very funny. Um, it's it's. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure it's it's satirical and meant for entertainment purposes. But what makes it so hilarious is it's uh, if we set aside what we know about Tolkien and and the world and the way it works, uh, uh, it's entirely it's quite persuasive. <laughs> Yeah, it really does a brilliant job of like you know taking certain lines out of context and making them very ominous. Uh, um, yes, yes. And for those of you who haven't read it, this is a this is a a uh, revi- a not a revision, but a a new reading of the Tom Bombadil character in which he is depicted as this like sinister brooding. F- 
force, which is just sort of waiting for his time of supremacy and is soon going to take over the world now that Sauron has been removed. Uh, and that, like, what is happening when Gandalf leaves leaves the group of hobbits at the end and goes off to meet with Tom Bombadil is like this like offstage confrontation, the final confrontation between good and evil. Um, anyway, it's uh, it's it's hilarious. The only thing that I it's it's yeah but it's 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 actually it's so well done that i'm like you know i'm reading this and i'm like you know this is going to be and I, I it's not that i think it's going to be quite the next like balrog's having wings issue but it's like you know i could see way too many people reading this taking it completely seriously and really like you know, adhering to this view of Tom Bombadil. So basically, it's like, honestly, that was the first thing that flashed through my mind when I read that entry. It's like, oh man, I can foresee like the months of my future life that I'm going to be spending <laughs> convincing people that this isn't true. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so I have to admit that my heart kind of fell at that prospect. <laughs> yeah, um, that's true. This You're going to be dealing with the fallout of this for like the next five years. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Uh, every, time um, you do a, every time you do a Q&A call-in session, there's going to be people asking this question. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I definitely saw people on the. Um, <clears throat> I definitely saw people on the 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 Facebook comment thread uh, when the One Ring posted this. I saw the people who were taking it seriously, sort of in the opposite direction. Not people who were reading it and thinking like, "Oh wow, you know, I never really thought about that." More people like, "I can't believe you think Tom Bombadil's evil." <laughs> yeah, right. people that are like, right. "You're like," I read that. I'm like, "I, I think, I think it." You're taking it too seriously, people. I think you need to yeah. relax. Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. We're going to talk about that next time because I thought that was hilarious. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, it's very funny. It's very funny. But it's exactly the kind of and, – and, and it's 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 just brilliantly done because, like, you could never prove that it isn't true. I mean, it's just – it's all done by implication and by, like, taking – taking lines out of context and like reading into them, like a double meaning, which I don't think is there, but, um, but it's but, impossible yeah, but, like, to you defeat. <laughs> no, you couldn't defend. It's impossible to definitively disprove it. You just can't. Um, but anyway, so yeah, no, I, I have, uh, I have, I have seen that. Yes. All right. <sighs> well, let's wrap this thing up. Um, uh, this episode will hopefully will go live uh, tomorrow um, which is Friday, uh, June, whatever the heck it is for the people that listen or to it on go, the thing. Go, go fourteen live. Yes, as it were. Yes, we'll put. Yes, it, yes exactly. <laughs> um, if you have comments or questions or feedback, uh, please go to the MythGuard.org website and go in the exclusive section where you'll find Riddles in the Dark. Find the post for this episode or past episodes and provide us with your feedback. Um, also send it to the uh, our Twitter accounts at Tolkien Prof and at Dave Kale, and feel free to also post on the Facebook page. Um, uh, as I said, we're expanding our team with the addition of Trish Lambert, and we're going to try to get things even more interactive than they already are. Um, we're in particular, I think. I don't know about you, Corey, but I would really like to hear people's thoughts, what they thought of using the GoToMeeting tool um, and whether yeah. whether they like this. It's not exclusive. It's not – we're not using this instead of um, 
the radio. We're still broadcasting on the radio. Right. We're not using this instead of the chat room. I will still try to be in the chat room, although this time I could not get in. I know, you know, because of the site troubles Middle Earth Network's having uh, right now, which I'm sure will be gone by the next time we do an episode. Uh, but yes. we're, we're kind of curious to hear if people liked it, if they think it's too much, and they'd rather just, you know, keep things simple with the radio in the chat room, that kind of stuff. So definitely want to hear your your right. feedback. Yeah, and, and you know, and as I said, the 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 you know, Dave, as you were just suggesting, I mean, the idea there is to you know to to add a little something while taking nothing away. So, yep. um, people always could, of course, just log into the yep. just log into the radio. But the idea is that hopefully by adding this piece, we can make it a little bit easier for people to interact with us more directly, so that we don't just have to be kind of creepily snooping around and listening in on the chat room and like here's something we just overheard somebody say in the chat room, but rather to be to be able to address people's uh, questions more directly. Yep. Um, Corey, do you have any Mythgard announcements or other announcements you'd like to make? Yeah, actually, one uh, one quick one. Um, I am doing a I'm doing a Fellowship of the Ring class, um, which is not in our master's program, but it's uh, for what we're calling the Mythgard Summer Academy. So this is a class for general readers. It's a it's a short class. It's it's just a three week little summer term, uh, non credit. Um, people can audit it. Uh, you can take part in our writing program where you can be working on your paper writing at the same time, especially intended for uh, for like high school and college age students. Uh, but basically, it's a way for for people who haven't had a chance, who haven't been able to commit to a uh, you know, sort of a full Mythgard class yet uh, to get involved and do uh, an in-depth discussion and reading of the Return of the, of the Fellowship of the Ring with me, which is what we'll be doing in this class. That'll be in July, starting the second week of July. Uh, you can go to mythgard.org slash academy for more information. And uh, if you would like, to, if you have any questions about it or would like to learn more about it, I'm actually doing an open house session uh, tomorrow evening. So Friday, that is Friday June, what is it, 15th, Friday, June 15th at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Um, we will be doing a session through GoToMeeting just like this. This is the, the interface that we use uh, for MythGuard classes that we'll all be using. This is sort of the half uh, MythGuard interface. I'm not uh, showing my screen and I'm not doing my streaming video feed and the other things that I usually do during a, during a MythGuard class. Um, but we'll be doing the full interface tomorrow night will get a chance to uh, answer questions that people have about uh, about the Mythgard Academy classes and how they work. We're also doing I'm, – I'm teaching the class on the Fellowship of the Ring. Amy Sturgis is teaching a class on Harry Potter. She's going to be covering the first three books of the Harry Potter saga. So um, those will be our – those are our two uh, summer academy classes uh, that will be happening in July. So, yeah, people should definitely, if they – um, would like to find out more about my Tolkien class or the program in general should uh, sh- should come at 8 p.m. Eastern Time to on Friday the 15th. The links for that will be found on the Mythgard homepage and on the uh, Mythgard Facebook page as well. I'll probably be posting them. I'll certainly be posting them on the Tolkien Professor Facebook page as well. Cool. All right. Well, um, please uh, keep your eyes and ears open for um, uh, new Riddles in the Dark Digest episodes to come in the following weeks. And um, join us for the next Riddles in the Dark episode, uh, probably either June 29th, Friday, or the week of July 4th, uh, to wrap up our discussion about Bilbo and Gollum and the Riddles in the Dark game. So, uh, in, in more senses than one. Um, so, um, uh, thank you very much to the folks that joined us in the NetMoot um, um, today and for all of our listeners on the radio and also uh, on the podcast. 
and uh, we will talk to you soon. Corey, take us away. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Godspeed.